podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Zero Pucks Given, the UK ice hockey podcast. We are in partnership with Blades Belong on Your Feet, the charity fighting knife crime with ice skating all across the UK. And we are in partnership with Hockey Art Co., the clothing company for you hockey fans. Worn by the best, hated by the rest. Zero Pucks Given listeners get a 10% discount on everything on the Hockey Art Co. website. If you enter the code ZP10 upon checkout, you'll get your discount on anything that you like from their website. So go there and check it out once you finish listening to this, of course. This is episode 43 and it is jam-packed. Unfortunately, I won't be joined by Graham Hamilton from Hawks Talk, Oop North, but that will take place next week. So we'll get a little lowdown on the Morally Division and check in with the Blackburn Hawks. I am, however, joined this week by Colin from MG1 Elite. This guy's coaching methods are all over social media. He's worked with so many young, talented British hockey players and has now extended the reach of his abilities across the pond in the US. So Colin will be telling us all about that, as well as some of the mind-blowing training methods that he's been employing uh, over the last few years and has clearly been improving the standard of the young British ice hockey players. Uh, we also have all the details of the weekend's game. So we've got match reports from Solent versus Invicta, Romford versus Streatham, Romford versus Invicta, Streatham versus Slough, and Chelmsford versus Oxford. The uh, including some exclusive coaches' thoughts as well. Uh, so welcome along. Let's get started and let's drop the puck on episode forty-three. We start down in Gosport as Solent faced Invicta. A fast-paced start to the game at the Devil's Cauldron in Gosport. An early chance for Solent saw Osman ding the iron. But on 8.22, the home side took the lead through Forsyth. The home side continued to pressure their visitors, who from a reliable source were trying to play big pad hockey in a phone box. The Devils stretched their lead on 14.38 when the Devils' most recent signing announcement, Drew Campbell, provided the giant Joe Llewellyn with an opportunity and he duly obliged, smashing past Ryder for 2-0. The first ended that way and as the second started, a facial injury for Solent's player coach Alex Murray led to an ice clean being required. On 25.44, the Dynamos pulled one back when Strawson and Laschek assisted Josh Condren on the rebound for 2-1. Invicta continued to push as their hosts seemed to tire and got their just rewards right at the end of the second after Condren turned provider for Dell to make it 2-2 on 38-56. Into the third and the home side reinvigorated, pushed through and took the lead again on 42-38 when Lackey slapped in straight from the face-off. The circle's incredibly close to the goals in Gosport. As has been the theme with this game, I predicted it would be a cracker. It swung back again and Invicta made it 3-3 as Stokes beat Taylor on the odd man rush on 47-34. The game opened up as both teams pushed for the win and in the final 10 minutes, after some controversy as the clock continued to run during a stoppage, the time was added back on, but would it be enough? It was the home side that retook the lead when Cloutman and Forsyth worked a play that saw Dynamo's decor putting their bodies on the line 
but none of them could stop Osman making it 4-3 on 52-40. The two points were confirmed when Ryder made a pad save from Campbell, but Peacock was closest to the to the crease to tip home for 5-3 on 54-32. And that's all she wrote in Gosport. A day off for the Devils on Sunday as Invicta will head home to welcome the Buccaneers on Sunday evening. After the game, Alex Murray and Carl Lennon gave me their thoughts on the opening weekend game, starting with Solent's player coach. Yeah, it was a great start for us on Saturday against Invicta. I think uh, going into the game, there was a lot of question marks over our squad and, you know, what we'd be like with the changes. And, you know, we're still to be tested on that. But uh, it was great to see the new guys plus, you know, the regulars turn up and, and get a really good start and 2-0 lead. And whilst Invicta pushed back, credit to them in the second, we were able to show our experience and, and see that game out in the third and some great performances throughout our team. I think I got 19 guys rolling, you know, everyone that dressed on the ice and, there were some experienced goals and there was, you know, youngsters scoring as well. Jack Peacock with a goal again back in the lineup, which is great to see. So overall, really happy with the performance this weekend. And, you know, it's great to get two points early in the season and lots of guys out on the ice. And, and now we turn our attention to Slough next Saturday and hopefully pick up another two points. Thanks for catching up. Cheers. And after the defeat, Dynamo's coach, Carl Lennon. We knew heading into these first competitive games of the season that, We'd be presented with two different propositions, two different challenges across the weekend. And of course, you know, try to prepare accordingly based uh, upon that. Um, I was generally quite unhappy with the Saturday performance. Um, I thought we started very poorly against Solent and we lacked the right intensity and application in that first period. And that I think gave them a lot of confidence in the game and uh, it also gave us uh, a hard start. Uh, we were 2-0 down very, very quickly in the game and I felt like we were almost always chasing the fixture. The The obvious thing for me was that they have a very distinctive way of playing in that rink and we addressed that system, but the problem we had was adapting to it because, of course, there's two things. One was that there's a number of our players that haven't played in that rink before and or some of them that haven't played there for a long while. And that's a new challenge that you've not had for, for some time. And obviously that's a different um, environment to, to play in. And the second part is that because it's played at a frantic pace, it's not as easy to adjust in the game to what we could see as patterns of play. However, I think as the game went on, we got better with that. Um, and after the first period, the performance in the second was excellent. You know, we put them under great pressure throughout that period. Um, we managed to, to, to claw the two goals back. And going into the third, you know, hand on heart, I could say that I felt like we were, we were the team that was going to move on. I thought they started to look a little tired. Um, but they didn't give up. And credit to, to Alex and his team, I thought they outperformed us on the day in terms of their intensity and um, their drive, and they deserved their win. Um, it was obviously quite back and forth in that third period and when they got the go-ahead goal. I personally don't feel like we showed enough resilience there to, to want that win and get that back. And um, that was something that I, I, I highlighted to the players after the game and uh, was was obviously not not happy about that, um, but like I said, Solent deserved the win. Um, no qualms about that at all. Um, and we've got to put that down as a, as a lesson. And um, 
you know, learning for ourselves, especially when we, we end up playing them again this year back in their rink. The Buccaneers got their season underway on Saturday as they hosted the reigning league and playoff champions. And it was the Stretton Redhawks that drew blood first with two goals through Ben Painter and Danny Inglesby. The Ely, New- Ely Newman brothers getting one each as well. Sorry, no scorers from the Buccaneers. Romford made Streatham work hard for their victory, as we said in the preview. If you don't work hard against them, they will turn you over. After the game, Jason Buckman and Ben Painter gave me their thoughts. Starting with Streatham player coach, Ben Painter gave his thoughts. Yeah, we um, we went into Romford on the, on the uh, Saturday um, and they, I think we were a bit surprised by their sort of their hard and fast start. They they came out the blocks they came out the blocks fast and and sort of pinned us in our end for the, for the opening part of that game there, um, but once we kind of settled and found our feet, I think we 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 sort of took a bit of possession back and and sort of regained a bit of control. Um, still showing some early signs and some signs that we got quite a new group and trying to find our feet a, a bit as a group. Um, lots of improvements to make, but all in all, we went away. Got got the job done. Picked up two points on the road when we weren't at our best. So it shows it shows that we can get it done when, when even when we're up against it a little bit. Um, Nathan Gregory was in the net and had a had a great game. Um, and yeah, we, we we probably weren't weren't too happy of the performance, but there's there's some positives to take from it and some some good individual um, sort of performances. Brandon Miles had a great game. Um, Harvey Briggs had a great game as well. And yeah, I think we. There's there's positives to take and, and definitely highlight some areas we need to work on. On to Sunday and the Buccaneers headed over the Dartford Crossing and down to Gillingham to face the Invicta Dynamos, smarting themselves after their defeat on the South Coast on Saturday night. And they took the lead early when Brandon Chard went unassisted on 3-0-1. The frantic first period swung the visitors' way on 8:55 when Ellie Wakeling and Luca Pascali assisted the impressive former Chelmsford junior Joe Tamarlin to make it 1-1. And two minutes later, Nathan Long assisted Sam Austin to give the Essex side the lead on 11.36. The home side regrouped and on 15.42 levelled up the game with a goal from Mads Thune, Apples to Bell and Springer Hughes. The Dynamos were starting to canter and retook the lead when Dell and Stevenson assisted James Laming with a cracking finish for 3-2. The second started with Invicta really putting the pressure on their guests but failing to extend their lead. The Bucks nearly levelled up but dinged the iron just before the halfway mark. Austin took a tripping penalty on 29.07 and in the resulting power play, Invicta made it 4-2 when Springer Hughes scored, assisted by Laschek and McCallum. Rumford returned the favour after Laschek sat for delay of game and Nathan Long scored a power play goal with Pascali on the assists. The second finished 4-3. Into the third and Mads Thune got his second with a cheeky little backhand a minute and 43 into the period to make it 5-3. With 10 to play, the Dynamos extended their lead again through Owendale, making it 6-3. Rumford called a timeout shortly after, possibly fearing the game would slip away quickly as the home side were really in their stride now. Invicta finished the scoring with the 10th goal of the game from Huggett on 54-36, making it 7-3. Again, Rumford made their opponents work very hard for the victory, and we'll go into next week's Essex Derby without a win, but certainly performances to build on. For Invicta, they also face Chelmsford next week as they host the Chieftains for the first time this season. Hopefully not the first of 10 meetings like last year. After the game, Carl Lennon and Jason Buckman gave me their thoughts, starting with the Dynamo's head coach, Carl Lennon. 
Sunday was a very different proposition. Um, obviously, Romford would have come off of, uh, I think, a, probably a bit of a high, having a, a decent result against Streatham the night before. Uh, and of course, we're all looking around the league at the moment, trying to understand how teams are faring up against each other because a lot of us haven't managed to play um, each other just yet. Uh, I think overall the performance was good and there were some incredible, great um, individual goals, especially on, on Sunday. Um, you know, Mads picking up his first two for the Dynamos, fantastic finishes. Um, Owen Dell on the score sheet again. Uh, Tommy Huggett with an absolute bomb of a slap shot. Ruskin with a great wrist shot in the top corner. And little Brandon kicked it all off for us with a, a beautiful sort of solo deke at the start of the game. Uh, maybe the highlight goal was was James Lehman's, um, you know individual effort, which you know I've not seen a goal in that building to that level for for quite some time, if ever at all. So it's definitely one to to watch on the on the highlights package that no doubt we'll put out this week. Um, but it was a game that was closely contested. Um, Romford were very organised and they created problems for us in the first two periods in particular. And a lot of those problems for me came more from individual errors where we made poor decisions on changes or we didn't clear zones or we took silly penalties. And and ultimately that gave them um, a foothold in the game when I think at times we, we could have been clearer than what we were. But... Um, Ultimately, in, in the third period, we pulled away and uh, we we performed very well. We managed that game out very well at the end as well too. And uh, a, a good win and, 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 of course, two points on the board, which um, we've got to be happy about. So uh, a mixed bag of a weekend um, and lots to work on, of course. And we, we take that forward now um, into Chelmsford next week. Uh, we have had a, a number of games against each other in the last year, especially. I think it was 10 last season. And, uh, you know, for the most part, we came out on top of that, which, you know, of course, we, we can take confidence from. But we know that they're a very different proposition um, than what they were last season. Um, I'm sure that, uh, that that Cliff has got them organised and, and very well structured. And, of course, they have new players on board, which will improve them. So we will not underestimate what they can bring to the table. And so we're expecting a, a big challenge uh, this weekend. But of course, we're really looking forward to it and, um, you know, continue our season on from here. So, yeah, uh, big weekend ahead of training and uh, a big weekend of games for us to come to. And look forward to it. Thanks. The Buccaneers coach was in reflective mood after the weekend and gave me his thoughts. Tough weekend of results for the Buccaneers. A um, lot of positives to take from the weekend, though. Uh, pretty sure the rest of the league has probably written this young team off at the beginning of the year. Um, Saturday's result against Streatham was a, was a tight, close game. We conceded a shorthanded goal, but we also hit the crossbar, and that's uh, the margins uh, we're working with. Could have been a 3-3 game quite easily. Um, Sunday, again... Really tough game against Invicta. I would say four to five bad defensive zone mistakes. Um, and when you play a team like Invicta with the offensive power they have, uh, you know they make you pay for it. Um, moving forward, it's gonna not get any easier against Chelmsford this Saturday. Um, but as I said, uh, lots of positives to take out of both games at the weekend. 
and hopefully this young squad can uh, learn from the mistakes and uh, move forward and improve. Sunday night saw the Streatham Red Hawks host the Slough Jets and a foggy start on the high road saw the Jets take the lead after killing off an early penalty. Jacob Minter assisted Seb Moore to make it 1-0 on 5.59. 30 seconds later, heads were lost as young Jacob Minter decided to take a pop at Streatham's fearsome enforcer, ending up with Minter and Miles both sitting for five. After the penalties had expired, the Ely Newman brothers played their own game as Ben sets up Josh for 1-1 at 13.27. After swapping some penalties at the start of the second, player coach Ben Painter did what he does best and stole in to put his side ahead shorthanded on 34-16. Into the third, and after Minter took a seat for delay of game, the Red Hawks' powerful power play line did the business again as Painter and Pitchley assisted Benny Lee Newman for 3-1 on 46-30. Slough pulled Massey late on but couldn't affect the outcome. Both Nettie's taking man of the match. That normally tells its own story. After the game, Ben Painter gave me his thoughts. And then going into into sort of the game against Slough on Sunday, they we, we kind of knew what to expect with them. They're they're a young, fast team, plenty of skill, um, and they keep coming, they keep working, and and they're, they're a difficult difficult team to play against. So we we knew what to expect, and I think the the mood was the mood was good before the game. We were we were definitely uh, definitely up for it. Um, got into some penalty trouble at times. Um, but it was it was sort of a, a good hard game, probably really good for a neutral fan or or any fan really to to watch the game. It was end to end stuff. Um, Danny Milton had a an unbelievable game in the net, um, made some massive saves definitely in the third um, to to keep us where we were and keep our lead. Um, and yeah, I think we we sort of showed that we can bounce straight back from a, a not-so-great game on a Saturday and, and really get a decent performance in against a decent team on, on the Sunday on home ice. Um, like I say, still more to work on, but we're building and, and every week we're, we're, we're sort of we're, we're getting better and, and galvanising a bit more as a group. And I think if we can play that way and have that mentality that we did on, on the Sunday and find a bit more... Um, bit more cohesion throughout the squad and, and sort of everyone gets their, their legs back under them. I think we, we will um we'll, we'll be good this year and, and continue uh continue picking up points along the way and just take game by game and yeah to, to get that one against Slough was, was a good sort of uh, a real good sort of sign of, of where we're going this year and what we can do when we really knuckle down. The final game of Sunday night saw the Oxford City Stars visit the Riverside in Chelmsford for what was sure to be an exciting one. Quite a tense start and Chiefs had an early power play opportunity and although worked the puck well, it almost seemed to miss a Bartlett waiting at the blue line for a slap shot. The Stars killed off that early penalty. The Chieftains called upon the Chelpsford Warriors to fill four lines, including Frankie Clover, Tom Baptist and Josh Fall. Baptist got two for slashing seconds into his first shift at 6.31. However, Chieftains killed off that penalty with some great saves from Jordan Lorday. The hit on Damon Porter in the corner saw the Canadian leave the ice and not return. However, after speaking to him briefly today, no real damage more precautionary than anything, so we should see him out again soon. The game ignited on 11 minutes when Alan Lack and Tom Banner clashed in a goal-mouth scramble, seeing both sit for five. This seemed to give the Chieftains the impetus to push on, and within seconds, neat play from Fillery and Rayner fed Ollie Baldock, who finished top shelf for 1-0 on 11.40. On 15.51, strong work by Tom Baptist saw the puck behind the net with TJ Fillery, who cheekily hit the puck off the back of former teammate Petr Cech and into the net 
for 2-0. 30 seconds later, it was three when Jay King had a shot that missed the target, but angled off the board behind the goal to an unmanned James Pentecost who gratefully tapped home with his baby son in attendance. A minute later, and Oxford's misery was compounded when great work again from Pentecost saw his shot rebound off Czech's pads and Halden Barnes Garner collected and slot home from close range of the 4-0 on 17-19. The pressure continued, but the scoring in the first finished with 0.4 on the clock as Jay King, who never scores, hit a rasping shot above Czech, Peter Czech's stick-side shoulder to rapturous applause and the first finished 5-0. Whatever Simon Anderson said in the interval must have had an effect as his star side came out hungry and pulled one back early when on 2055, Aaron Moody finished assisted by Dylan Hullaby. The second remained opened and competitive. A big hit in the neutral zone on Tom ba Baptist saw the bucket fly off and the rink staff have to come and clean some blood off the ice. I understand Tom has been to hospitals, have an eye injury looked at, hoping he is okay. The forwards were forcing both netminders to make great saves and the game caught fire again on 18.32 when a hit on Dan Fay wasn't taken very kindly by Kieran Rayner. He dropped gloves with Dax Hedges for an even affair, a slip by Rayner bringing an early conclusion to that one. The third period was almost quite tense and you could tell both sets of players were still searching for that match fitness. The Stars finished on the penalty kill after a late cross-checking penalty for Dylan Hullaby, but the score remained the same. A 5-1 win at home for the Chieftains. And after the game, Oxford head coach Simon Anderson gave me his thoughts. Yeah, disappointing loss for us last night. First game of the season. Um, you know, I think we started OK. Um, and then, obviously, we had a few decent looks on, on Jordan. You know, we couldn't quite put the puck in the net. Um, and then we had a crazy sort of seven or eight minute spell where we, we kind of fell apart in the, in the first period. And if it wasn't for Petter and goal, you know, I think it probably could have been worse. Um, but to be fair to the guys, we... We battled back, you know, and I think in the second and third period, you know, over those two periods, we obviously won the game 1-0. You know, there's no consolation or points for that, I know, but it gives us something to, to cling on to and take into next week against Slough. Um, we know now we don't, we can't afford to take a shift off in this league or you'll get punished, you know, especially against teams like Chelmsford. Chelmsford they will they will punish you, and, and that's ultimately what they did. Um, but, you know, we're not going to feel sorry for ourselves now. We're going to move forward, um, dust ourselves down. We know what it takes to to be better by the way we played in the second and third. And um, we'll get ready and practice on Wednesday and take it into Slough next week and hope for a more positive result. A massive thank you to all the coaches that took the time to supply their coaches' thoughts from the weekend. It is genuinely and massively appreciated. The coaches' thoughts will be available separately on YouTube later in the week as well. Well, that's all the games out of the way. Let's get to our guests. Colin Booth from MG1 Elite Performance. <clears throat> Zero pucks given in partnership with Blades Belong on Your Feet and the Hockey Art Co. And we are now talking to Colin Booth of MG1 Elite Performance. How you doing this evening, sir? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on. Now, thank you for offering to come on. It's, it's such an incredibly different insight into the game because anyone that would have seen anything that you do on social media will see that you are really innovating in the way of training these young British hockey players to be better hockey players. Yeah, well, I mean, thanks. That's a nice compliment. But I think at this point, it's probably worth saying that hockey's not actually my sport. Really? So, yeah. So I, I can't skate. I've never been on the ice. Um, I don't really have a long-term affinity with hockey. Um, 
I've kind of ended up with the majority of my work now being ice hockey related, but that was never, ever the plan. No, but I suppose in this country, because of the lack of facilities, off-ice training is is more important than ever. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's that's really where it came around. So just to put a bit of context into the backstory that um, my... You're taking my, my next, you're taking my first question there. Sorry, yeah, I was, <laughs> well, I was just... I mean, so my my son plays hockey. Um, he's a goalie, and I I stumbled in it into lockdown. Really, so when lockdown hit in twenty twenty or whenever it was, I was obviously not able to do my normal day job, which was you know my sporting background is predominantly rugby and field hockey. Um, and I was working with Ollie, my lad, um, just at home because, you know, like everybody else, we couldn't go out, didn't have anything to do. And I foolishly, in hindsight, put it on social media mm-hmm. and uh, Ewan King picked up on it. So King messaged me and he's like, "What? what's this stuff you're doing? So I said, well, I'm just like doing my job, but I'm bored, you know, doing it with Ollie. And he was like, oh, I didn't realise that's what you did for a living. And the rest as they say, is history. So I blame Kinga for it all, really. <laughs> uh, well, we did have a... Um, when I announced that you were going to come on, the first person that mentioned me was Danny Milton. Oh, all right. And, and said, yeah, it's going to blow your mind. It's going to absolutely blow your mind, some of the stuff that he does. Um, and, he, and he did briefly mention to me about a, some something to do with being a squash champion. <laughs> you should have a bit of squash court history. Uh, no, 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 no. So we, we have a game that we play, which is... Uh, a game we play predominantly with goalies, which is a, just a reaction hand-eye kind of game, but we call it squash. Um, Milts thinks he's really good at it. Uh, I'm too kind to tell him otherwise. So if that's what he wants to believe, then uh, then then we'll leave it we'll leave it at that. But I, you know, Milts is a really good guy, big advocate of what I do. You know, I've worked with him a lot at Kinger's camps over the over the years, uh, and at GB and things like that, and. You know, thanks to people like him and Davey Lawrence and Dave Clancy and obviously Kinger and Danny Myers and Ryan Aldridge and all these kind of guys who have um, been inquisitive, I guess, at the start about what I do and then given me a chance to show how it impacts players and goalies. And then obviously the the sort of role effect that's come from that, you know, without people like them in the sport we wouldn't be talking, you know? So I think, I think the credit has to go to those guys. And I'm sure there's others that I haven't mentioned as well. Yeah. Danny's actually on uh, end of October, early November time with me. So I'm sure he'll fight his case for being the, uh, the squash champion. Slab hands, mate. He's got hands like slabs. <laughs> yeah. He's, um. I mean, it's such a, I mean, obviously I've seen that you do do skaters as well as goalies as well. Yeah. But it's, because I mean, it's such a niche sport, there's not many places in this country to play it, and and particularly netminding is just, I mean, what, why anyone would want to stand in between them pipes and take a sort of three inch circled vulcanized rubber at upwards of a hundred mile an hour? Yeah, I mean, there is a level of insanity, you know, and I can say that I'm qualified too. There's definitely a level of insanity <laughs> in goalies, um, but I think, look, in all seriousness, they. From a neurological point of view, you know, from from a brain aspect, uh, what they have to do and the complexity of the the role they find themselves in is incredible. And I think, in all honesty, you know, I've never done it, so I can't talk firsthand. But I think that when you look at the kind of the mechanics almost and the the process of what they do, it shouldn't be possible. You know, yeah. the 
the speed that they have to make decisions, the speed that they have to process information. You know, we're we're lucky that we've been able to kind of analyze high level goalies and see what they see at various different points. And, you know, we're, we're talking fractions of a second to be able to see information, process information and make decisions on that information. And then obviously act on that information, you know, because what you find is obviously the game speeds up, right? As you go through the, the levels, the game speeds up and equipment kind of falls into the player's benefit, if you like. You know, sticks get better. They get a better whip on shots. They don't need to uh, kind of slap shot anymore. They can release at speed. So the processing time of information is is less and less and less. And, you know, like without going into too much detail, like people like USA Hockey have come to me and said, right, how do we keep up with this? Because goalies have got this job. And if you look at the NHL last year, the NHL had more goals scored in it than it has done for years. Yeah, My games were finishing like 9-7 and things like that. And uh, the head of USA Hockey goaltending reached out to me and sort of said, look, how do we get, what do we need to do with goalies to give them a sporting chance? Because everything scientifically that we know that goalies need to stop pucks, players know as well. Yeah. Right? So subsequently we try and renege those situations. So we we kind of always knew that goalies need a good look at the puck to be able to stop it. We didn't always know the science behind that. Do you know what I mean? So if you spoke to a goalie, they, they know they have to really see the puck to stop it, but they didn't really know why. Yeah. But it comes down to something called the quiet eye theory, which is basically the amount of time that your gaze anchors on something before, during and after it happens. And when you get the relevant time right and the gaze anchor is strong, what happens is it kind of sends a message to your brain that says, right, based on the information I can see, based on what I know, so previous knowledge, pattern recognition, that shot's going to go from there to there in roughly this amount of time. So I kind of, I don't watch it. I just predict from the information that I see. So we knew that goalies need to see pucks, right? So what do we do? We whack a load of bodies in front of them so they can't see the puck, right? that, That sort of stops that. And then we know that we we like to see a static puck. That gives us more chance of the information because when the puck's moving, we have to be better with our kind of vision to be able to hold our attention on it. So, okay, you want a static puck? Right, well, we'll kind of get rid of slap shots then because that was the ultimate static puck pretty much. So now we'll go to quick release toe drags, right? And it's like everything that we know goalies need, the playing side of it has kind of gone, okay, cool. We know you need that, so you're not going to have it. Yeah. Yeah, they're combating it every step of the way, aren't they? Every step of the way, yeah. And then it gets to the point of right now, how do we eventually kind of even that out? How do we get goalies to a point where they've got a fair shot at it? Because even the way even the way goalies see a puck compared to players is different. So if you think about as a goalie, you dial into the puck, so you narrow your visual field, you want to get as much ten- much information from it as you can, whereas players widen their visual field, right? They want to see everything. So ultimately, when a rebound comes out off a goalie, the goalie's got a very narrow visual field. They're searching for it, whereas the player has got a wider visual field and can pick it up quicker. So that's why we now see people shooting for rebounds more. You know, A, it changes the angle of the, the shot, but also it's more difficult for the goalie to pick up. So, you know, there's there's loads of things that goalies have a disadvantage of. And I think, you know, going back to the original thing, it's it's by far, in my opinion, and I can, you know, like I say, I've never done it, 
it's by far one of the hardest things you can do in sport to be a, a nice hockey goalie. Yeah. Yeah. As you say, the speed in which they have to react to what they can see happening in front of them is, is just phenomenal. And it's, it's something I actually sort of noticed that being a goalkeeper in any sport must have similarities yep. in what they do. Um, we, we were lucky enough, lucky enough last year to see Petr Cech playing for Chelmsford. And it was notable, actually, that the amount of time he's been playing ice hockey, he has got better and better and better because it must be those small little differences in being an ice hockey goalkeeper as to being a football goalkeeper that he had to adapt. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I work with goalies in a range of sports, you know, football, field hockey, ice hockey. And the biggest issue, apart from the speed and the fact that they're standing on, for all intents and purposes, razor blades, is in every other sport, if the ball goes behind you, generally it's out of play. Yeah. Right? So your visual field as a hockey goalie or as a football goalie is 180 degrees, right? You And most people have not quite 180 degree, but they have a wide enough visual field that you've got probably somewhere in the region of 140, 130, right? So there's not a lot of head movement needed to see corner flag when you're a hockey goalie you've got to have full 360 and you know just to add to the complexity that's another one so it's like and you know in in the petter check scenario you know the way the way we learn skill and we acquire skill is you know through neural pathways and myelination and all these kind of neurological things that happen and he would have learned skills as a hockey goalie when he was younger then he's gone and done his football thing. So they're there, they're in his mind because he's done them, but it's a bit like riding a bike. You know, you don't forget them, but you do get rusty at them. So he's going to have to kind of go and find those things he learned as a kid in his brain and then bring them back up to the top and kind of build up those kind of those knowledge pathways again to the level they were when he was kind of, I don't know when he stopped playing, but I imagine it was quite young. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's not it's not a direct transfer, but there's definitely some skills that apply to both. You know, like you say, the reactions and the speed of movement and all those. But yeah, hockey hockey goal is just a different level of difficulty. Uh, and, and you've certainly used modern technology in in adapting this this training. I've I've seen things with virtual reality, with the uh, with the quick reaction boards, with the lights, which is just incredible sort of eye hand coordination training. Has has that helped you, as you say, in your role? as a coach using those technologies are they beneficial yeah they are um i think that you know i think it's fair to say at this point and danny and i were having a chat about this danny myers and i were having a chat about this the other week that that without the required knowledge of what you're doing they're just flashy lights Mm. right you know and that's and i think people can get carried away with technology and they can you know buy stuff and get stuff and think it's going to make the difference but you've got to kind of know what you're doing with it and you've got to be doing it with a purpose and and certainly from a neurological point of view it has to be sport relevant because if it's not what you get good at is the game you're doing with the technology so if you for example just see somebody doing straight up reactions on a blaze pod you know is it going to transfer to their reactions on the ice directly probably not what it's going to do is it's going to help them with their neuroplasticity and their ability to learn on the ice but ultimately it's not going to give them faster reactions you have to have 
contextual areas of gameplay when you're training goalies. So you'll you'll see them doing flashy lights, but you might see them doing flashy lights with one hand while the other hand's catching tennis balls. Yeah, you know, so it's like, why are we doing that? Well, as a goalie, catching with my left hand is a fundamental task, right? I need to be good at that, and if I can do that whilst I'm doing something else, that's going to create the difference, not just playing the bongos on a set of kind of flashy lights, which um, I think a lot of people probably think, and you know, companies like BlazePod perhaps promote that kind of thought process. Just get good at it. Um, but you have to have the element of the sport related in it as well. Yeah, as you say, otherwise, it, as you say, it's not beneficial and it's just technology for technology's sake. Yeah, you get good at the game and you have to. And the other thing is you have to have a certain basic level too, right? So the amount of times, you know, I do, I work on Ewan's goalie camps all summer. They're great. And we we have kids from, you know, eight, nine, ten, right up to pro level on the different camps. And sometimes you'll be doing some stuff and they've seen on Instagram the, the flashy glasses, the stroboscopic glasses, and they're like, you know, can we try them? Can we try them? And the reality is that unless unless your hand-eye coordination is pretty strong anyway and you can catch balls pretty well without them, putting them on is zero benefit, right? <laughs> because you're not, it's not going to make it any easier. So if you can't have a basic level of being able to th- throw and catch a tennis ball, yeah, you can put them on just to see what they're like, but the reality is it's not going to do an awful lot. If you can, if you can throw and catch a tennis ball super proficiently, then yeah, that's going to make it more difficult and it's going to help from a neurological development point of view. But you know, some of the kids, and I get it because the stuff looks pretty cool and it looks fun, and they just want to have a go, and we just have to rein them back a little bit sometimes and just explain that you know it's it's a it's a thing that you do kind of once you've got that basic level in place. Yeah, I suppose it's it's all like a ladder, isn't it? I suppose you have to get upon certain steps first before you can progress. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, you know, I think certainly at the elite level, you know, you go, you go to an elite level in any sport and what makes the difference, you know, and I think that's always a chat I have with goalies and players. And if you get to the very top, and, I, you know, I'm not even talking the elite league, I'm talking kind of NHL level, you get to the very top and you say, okay, what's the difference between the greats and the good? And it is things that have always been referred to in the past as kind of those fluffy, wishy-washy kind of, you know, oh, he just sees the game better. He's got more time on the puck. Mm. You know, it seems to, he seems to play in slow motion. He just, he never seems to get flustered. And, you know, and the reality is that all those fluffy statements are the cognitive visual and mental side of performance. Right. And yeah. we've, we've never really been able to certainly in the UK, we've never really pinpointed that before and gone, no, these aren't fluffy. These are trainable skills. Right. And um, the U S is ahead of us, like as it always is. Um, but again, thanks to the coaches I mentioned earlier, we are catching up and our approach to it has been very different. You know, our approach has been, how do we bridge the gap because of the situation we find ourselves in in the UK with rinks and ice time and opportunity? What can we do away from the ice? Like you said earlier, what can we do away from the ice to keep in touch or get us closer to those other nations? Whereas in the US, I was over in the States a couple of weeks ago, and when I'm in the US, it's very much about how do we take the good to the very good? Mm. 
So like, how do we get to that next level? And, you know, and both of them have value. That's just the way we are in the UK. We have to, we have to look at things a little bit differently because if you don't, right, you just join the rest of the people who moan about the state of British ice hockey. Yeah. And, you know, I could do that too, but that's not going to add any value to the teams or the athletes I work with. So, um, you know, you, you can do, you can be more, beneficial to yourself and your organization away from the ice as well as on it for sure so obviously you mentioned earlier that the u.s goaltending team actually reached out to you yeah uh, and you were in the u.s a couple of weeks ago because you've actually opened up over there as well yeah so um in virginia so just outside washington a place called sterling virginia we've got uh the first mg1 brain gym um in a facility called loudham ice center which is um I guess for the UK, it's it's an ozone type rink, yeah. Right, it's a it's a small three on three training facility, um, and Darren, the guy who runs that, uh, reached out to me on LinkedIn, maybe I don't know, a long time ago, months ago, just you know, really inquisitive about what we were doing, how it was being done. I think it was maybe an eye tracking video or something I'd put on with some goalies. I can't remember exactly. And we've been talking for maybe six months, eight months, um, just backwards and forwards, you know, how can he's, he's very much in the same thought process as me around athletic development and how society has changed the way athletes develop. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to guess how old you are, but you know, I'm in my mid forties and when I was young, the way I was, my childhood was very different to the childhood of today, right? And I would go out and uh, I'd play football all winter. I'd chuck a rugby ball around. I'd play a bit of cricket in the summer. Uh, I'd play tennis for two weeks in the summer, you know, pretending it was Wimbledon. <laughs> um, and, you know, mum would call me in at nine o'clock when the streetlights came on kind of thing. And And what that does for children is it develops a multitude of skills that we don't really develop anymore. So it develops things like problem solving, creativity, decision-making, you know, dealing with adversity, toughness, resilience, all these skills, right? And the reality is that we don't do that anymore. Society's changed. And what, and, you know, I'm going to be honest as well, because I deal with parents a lot, you know, parents don't always help that either. So, you know, there's, there's a real need or a real desire at the minute to kind of parachute parent a little bit. So when, when kids face a bit of toughness or a bit of adversity, the gut reaction nowadays is sort of like to pick them up and drop them somewhere else, you know, rather. And we see that in hockey all the time, you know, kid gets picked in the B team. It's like, Oh, coach doesn't know what he's doing. We'll take you to this club and you'll, you'll be better there kind of thing. And kids don't develop these skills and, and I've said it to every hockey coach I've worked with, I've never seen a sport like hockey as well for almost coaching those skills out of people. Because if you, the first time I went to a rink and watched a coach coach, I've never seen a whiteboard so much in my life. And I spent like 10 years in education. (laughs) So the amount of drawing on whiteboards, you know, so like you pick the puck up here, you go around here, he's going to come here, this guy's going to come here, you passed him, you passed him, we go, and it's like, well, that doesn't happen in a game. Like, where does decision-making come into this? Where does the need to lift my head up and 
see what's happening. Where does the where does the decision making element come into that drill? And like, what happens then when the defender actually wins the puck? Because at the minute, all you want them to do is just kind of like whack it up the ice, just get rid of it. You know, that's mm. the drill over. We'll go again. Well, that doesn't happen in a game. So we almost coach these kind of skills out of them. And that, I guess, is where I come in, because when we then see them going through, you know, whether it be the GB goaltender program or the GB Olympic threes or whatever kind of event I get involved in, these skills are the ones that are missing. It's not the it's not the technical ability on the puck, right? It's not the it's not the fitness necessarily. It's not the kind of game understanding. It's the ability to lift your head, process information, use that information to inform a decision that isn't just written on a whiteboard for you because life isn't whiteboards, right? It's just like, yeah. sport isn't like that. And um, I think that's where certainly with the modern generation, we've, we've had to be a bit more, proactive in coaching the skills rather than just letting them organically develop like they may have done 20 30 years ago yeah i'm i'm not actually that far behind you on years so uh, (laughs) but yeah that was exactly the same sort of growing up for me and i don't know if people are maybe now assuming these kids have got these these sort of skills but they but they haven't as you say because they need to be to be coached into them because of the way society is so different but it's I mean, because as a sport, it's it's obviously incredibly expensive to play. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly difficult to find somewhere to play, depending on where you are in the country. Um, is that something that could be combated to to make it better? Because you kind of, it seems like you're you're paddling against the tide, really, to try and improve the players that we've got playing the sport. But is there something yeah. bigger that needs to get more people playing it? Oh, look, like I have to be careful about getting involved in conversations like this because of, you know, my employers at various different organizations, but do I think ice hockey is expensive? Yeah. hundred percent. You know, and I can talk about that from a parent's perspective as well. Like I said, my, my boy plays, he's a goalie. I mean, that's just insane. Expense. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the way I see things and, you know, this is going to kind of the, I suppose the mental performance side of sport as well is that I can't change that. Right. So I, that's not in my power to change. And, you know, the, one of the big things we work with athletes is, is if it's not in your power to change, it shouldn't be entering your mind really, right? Because we get, we get in f- like obsessed with events, mm. right? So like things happen as, as players and we fixate on the event. So a bad call from the referee, you know, it's an awful call. And they might spend five minutes thinking about the awful call. But I can't change that. So that five minutes is just negatively impacting me, right? The only thing I can change is my response to how I deal with that event. And that response is going to generate the outcome that hopefully I want, right? So I can I can sit here and go, you know, yeah, there's not enough rinks. It's too expensive. The ice time is shocking. You know, we're not getting enough kids on the ice at the right times, blah, blah, blah. But I can't change that. So I can sit and moan or I can go, right, here's here's my response to it. Here's Danny Myers' response to it. Here's Ewan King's response to it. Here's Dave Clancy's response to it. Here's Davey Lawrence's response to it. Because we can't, well, Danny can, I suppose, but we can't go and build rinks. You know, we can't go and change planet ice's ice times or whatever it may be or, you know, give kids more opportunity. But we can 
try and find a way around it. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, I, when I work with kids and athletes and you sort of say to them, you're going to hit roadblocks, right? Something's always going to go wrong. And when it goes wrong, you have to turn into sat-nav mode, really. You know, and sat-nav very rarely will say, nah, give up. You're not getting there. <laughs> sat-nav will just deviate you another way around it. Absolutely. That's I, a great analogy, actually. And we we have to do that. And, you know, it's a block in the road isn't the end of the road, right? We have to just find a way around it. And, yeah, we, yeah we've got a million and one things that make it difficult. But then on the coin side, we have a million and one opportunities to do different things. And... You know, credit to Ice Hockey UK, the, you know, the, the goaltender development program has been relaunched this year. Um, you know, Ewan's in charge of it now with Dave Clancy. And, you know, they're they're investing money in the goalies in that to work with me throughout the year. You know, so I think credit where credit's due. You know, we have to, you know, because a lot of people like to knock governing bodies and organisations, but actually they've seen the benefit that we've had with junior Great Britain goalies and senior Great Britain goalies, you know, like I work with those as well. Um, and we're giving every, every kid who's in that now from, I think on the boys side, the youngest ones are 08s, 09s possibly. Yeah. Um, through to kind of the current under 18 block. Uh, and in the girls are a little bit younger because obviously we've got less of a pool. Um, but there's around 30 goalies across both programs. So, you know, credit to ISOC UK, they are, like we've just said, looking at what they can do, not just highlighting what they can't. Yeah. And that's all we can expect, right? Exactly. Yeah. And as you said, that's why the, the sort of the off-ice training is is so important. But with the mental side, is it is it very much the actual mental side of the game? Or are you sort of coaching these young athletes to have a control on their mental health? as well because obviously it's a sport but there's a lot of rejection yeah great question so i think that depends on the scenario that i'm going into so i mean i'll give you an example from the gb olympic program um so obviously as you know we are for the first time taking a a u16 out to the olympics in january um danny asked me really early to be involved and one of the key reasons for that was that you know, we had, forgive me if this is wrong, but I think we had 50 skaters and eight goalies at the first trial. Mm. And we're taking a squad of 11 plus two, right? So there is a very large p- proportion of the kids who are going through this process who aren't going to go out to the Olympics. And these are 40, 50, I forget what the starting number was, but these are 40 and 50 of the best 08s and 09s that we have in the UK. And because they're the best 08s and 09s in the UK, they've not had an awful lot of rejection. No. Right? So they've made every showcase team. They've gone away with representative teams. They're playing for their, you know, A team at club. They're on the PP. They're on the PK. They're putting up a a big number of points. And for the first time ever, this might be the time when they are for all intents and purposes, not good enough, right? Mm. So, you know, Danny sort of asked me in the first time we got together was to get the kids and the parents in the room together and just explain some of the tools you can use to deal with that because 
again, we go back to this, the sort of the sat nav analogy, you know, it's just a bump in the road, right? It's not the end of the road. No one's saying that you're not going to make a pro hockey player. You're not going to go to college in America. You're not going to do whatever you want to do. What's potentially happening is at this moment in time, it's just not your time, right? And that's, that's just the way it is. And you've got two choices. That's the event, right? Yeah. The response is all on you. So is the response, okay, I'll take on board what I've been told. I'll take on board the feedback I've got and I'll go away and work on that. Or is the response, you know, screw you. You don't know what you're talking about. It's because I don't play for X club, blah, 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 blah. You know, and this is, you know, parents and kids in the room together. And and that outcome that comes from that response will be very different. Yeah. Right. You know, and that, and that's what we're trying to get people to understand. So I think that mental health is obviously hugely important and probably starts to play more in with some of the pro players that I work with, if I'm being honest. Um, because I do think that when, when it starts to become a job and, you know, that the mortgage depends on it and, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys, especially in the UK are perhaps year to year contracts. Yeah. Um, and there's not a lot of kind of, security in that world um and you know they may go and get married or have kids or all these things that life brings at you um just being able to kind of manage that side of their mental health and just being able to kind of compartmentalize things and you know focus on process rather than outcomes is something that's really important and it, it, it kind of they go hand in hand a little bit but i would in all honesty, say that the mental health element probably comes more into the the pro ranks. Yeah. And I mean, you'll, you'll know as being a sort of a coach or trainer of any level, you're 50% shrink. The, the, the amount of times that you, that you spend with these people, my wife's a personal trainer and, and it's, it's half the job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, obviously it is my background because as much as I'm not a sports psychologist, I'm I'm qualified as a mental performance coach. And I think that was never really my intention. So the, the neurobiology and sports performance, but what you find is that the way your brain works is very much dependent on the way your mental state is. So actually they started to be very hand in hand over the years. And it was like, okay, so I can, you know, I know I can scan, I know I can process information, I know I can make decisions. But yet when I go in front of 7,000 people away from home and they're all screaming at me, I just can't seem to be able to do it. Why is that? Yeah. And well, that's because you're not managing your emotions. You're not being able to regulate your thoughts. You're thinking too far ahead and all these kind of mental performance skills that need to come into play. But what I will also say is that like we still view in the UK and it, it, I was going to say it's changing, but it's not really. We, we still view the mental performance side as something I do when there's a problem. Oh, so it's sort of um, cure it's rehab. prevention. Yeah. Yeah, it's viewed as rehab. So, you know, I, I'll get texts, phone calls from people out the blue that I haven't spoke to for maybe a year who'll be like, oh, this happened last night. What do I need to do about it? <laughs> you know, like, and they, they want a quick kind of plaster, you know, put this on and do that and three times a day and you'll be fine. And the reality is that mental performance is very much like technical and physical performance is that you have to train it. You have to practice it. 
you can't expect to walk into an environment and deal with it without having put the groundwork in first. And, you know, like, think think about kind of the nights last year. So Leeds, obviously, is I work with Leeds. And walking into that playoff weekend, you know, where you've got the weight of expectation is almost drowning you because everyone assumed they should have won. Yeah. Everyone thought they were going to win. All the fans, except for the one Leeds block, wanted them not to win. You know, you've got all the other teams coming in, in effect, with nothing to lose because they're playing Leeds. And you've got Leeds with everything to lose because they should win it. They've run away with the league. And they got through that weekend because of the work we'd done all year. No, sorry, not be- but it helped, right? It's not, I'm not saying it was, but it helped. They were able to deal with situations, manage their emotions, regulate their performance based on, I don't know, 25 meetings over the course of the year, you know? So, and again, that's where people like Aldi are forward thinking, you know, they, they want to, um, they want to give their teams the best chance of, of winning. And, and, you know, that that's what happened. And when you do it that way, you get a chance to develop the skills, learn the skills, and then pull them off during performance. Right. Whereas if you just go, Oh yeah, I remember reading once that if you uh, try and breathe deeply on a shift change or something, that'll help, you know, well, that, that ain't really going to work when you've got 4,000 people, you know, screaming you at you when you're sat down below them. So You've got to be able to practice that to perform at the time you want to. And 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 that's probably the biggest issue is the minute is that people don't see the don't see the benefit in practicing and then they get into the situations, it goes wrong, and then they want fixing. Mm. It's like but, yeah, you need to, the whole, you need to, on, on the night though, yeah, that's the hardest thing to practice. Um I mean I know, I mean from years ago I I played football not to a massively great level, but I, I have been involved in boxing and, and I always struggled on the night yeah. in the in the gym in sparring ring I'd, I'd be untouchable but you put the lights on and two thousand people there it would freeze yeah and you know a lot of that comes around to the way our brain works around thoughts and emotions so you know as humans we're we're really aware of how we feel so i could walk up to a player in a change room and go how are you feeling they'd be like nervous tonight mm. it's like cool why i don't know just you know big game in it but actually those emotions come from thoughts, right? So what's probably happening in, in his head is thinking, you know, good performance tonight, good chance of getting a contract next year, contract next year means I can get that house. If I get that house, the missus ain't going to leave me. If the missus doesn't leave me, we know we can have we can have kids in five years. And if we have kids in five years, I'll be coaching my kid in 10 years. I mean, this is great. And you just from, you know, got to win tonight, you've got this whole rhetoric around how life is going to work out. And you know, that's obviously said a bit tongue in cheek, but that's what happens. Yeah, yeah. You know, we start to fast forward our minds to what we think will happen if something happens, when that happens, that might happen or might not. And actually, that's what then creates the anxiety and the fear and the the sort of the emotions that we get. So we know we've got them, but we don't tackle the thoughts that are driving those feelings and emotions. And that's that's the biggest kind of you know, anyone watching this, that's the biggest takeaway that you can do is that, you know, your head and your feet need to spend more time in the same place. As soon as your head is either ahead of your feet, you know, so you're thinking into the future, 
you're not going to get your best performance. And if your head's behind your feet, you're thinking about the shift you've just had, the mistake you've just made, uh, the miss you've just done, you're not going to be able to get your maximum performance. Your head and your feet have to be in the same place for the majority of the time. And and that's why you'll see players. It's interesting because I get messages all the time from people going like, you work with such and such, don't you? I'm like, how do you know that? And they're like, oh, because we saw him on the bench doing something. And it's very much you. I was like, oh, okay. Because they, <laughs> you'll see it, right? So what players will do when they know what they're doing is when they come on a shift change, they'll do a mental reset, right? Yeah. Which means fundamentally they'll sit on the bench and they'll anchor themselves to something away from the situation, right? So they'll, if, if, so how it works, and I guess this will hopefully be interesting to people that, that listen, um, whether you're a goalie or a player, Okay, you want to be a, you want to do a mental recognition of where you stand at the correct opportunities. And for goalies, that's every whistle, because obviously they're on the ice for 60 minutes. And for players, that's every shift change. So what you'll see goalies do, and we all see it, is when the whistle goes, they'll lift their cage, they'll spray some water in their mouth, and then they may do something that looks a bit routine-y, mm-hmm. right? So some of them will kind of like tap both posts, some of them will spray water in the air and watch it come down. Uh, some of them will skate to the corner and back. They all have their own routine. The problem is that a lot of them don't really know why they do it. It just becomes almost like habitual. Yeah. Same as spraying water down your neck. You see that all the time. And you go, do you know why you do that? And they're like, no, I just do it. So, like, okay. So we explain that, why that actually works. And But so what goalies are trying to do is they're trying to mentally reset. And the easiest way to describe it to you and the people that are listening are every time there's a whistle or there's a, a shift change, you know, so you jump over the boards, you kind of need to imagine yourself in a car at a set of traffic lights, right? And you go, okay, so mentally, is my head and feet in the same place? Am I focused on the task at hand or am I wandering? So if I'm in a good place, I'm focused on what I should be doing, I'm anchored to my key principles that I've given myself for my best performance, then I'm a green light, which means that I just need to stay there and the next time I jump on, I'm good to go. But if if my mind isn't where it should be and it's wandering either back or forward, then depending on the severity of that, you know, whether I've actually lost my mind and that's a red light or whether I'm kind of like bubbling, that's a yellow light. I can go through the traffic lights on a yellow or red. But like like doing that in a car, sometimes it'll be fine and I'll get away with it. And other times I'll get blindsided and the car will get written off. Yeah. Right. And, And Yeah, I can run a few red lights and I can run a few yellows, but eventually I'm going to get caught out. Something's going to go wrong. So what I need to do is I need to reset myself to this green light mentality. And that comes around basically changing my focus to the internal rather than the external. So the easiest way to do that is to focus on your breathing. So we have different breathing techniques that people use to to basically kind of centralize their nervous system again, because your nervous system, again, without going too complex, I'm really conscious when I do these kind of things, but you have a sympathetic and a parasympathetic response to stress and anxiety. You'll know it best as fight or flight response, Yep. right? Yep. So when you start getting stressed and anxious, you either come out swinging, you know, which a lot of people do, or you have that kind of protect myself mentality, or you have kind of the rest and digest, which is just, I'm going to curl over and die, or I'm going to just lie here and pretend I'm asleep and nobody will hurt me. And there you go. I've, right, I've right. done both in the boxing ring. Yeah, and they go back to that, you know, that's that's the formation of human life. That's our basic inbuilt 
defense mechanisms, right? But that's that comes at you because of the stress and anxiety level that builds up. So the cortisol and adrenaline that starts running through the brain. And that comes from a part of the brain called the amygdala. So you have this little thing in your brain called an amygdala, which is a bit like those sprinkler systems that sit on the roof of a building, right? So as as you start to build up anxious thoughts and you start to panic, the amygdala basically releases cortisol and adrenaline into the body, right? Now, that then generates this fight or flight because it thinks you're in danger. So you can actually... Let me give you an example, right? And this is one we do with a lot of players. So if you're if you're at a cash point tonight, you go to Tesco's, you put your card in and you feel a gun in the back of your head, right? What happens? Well, straight away, your heart sinks, your stomach starts going to knots, you start sweating, your thoughts start racing, you might shake, you might tense up, the body responds, right? And then you go, okay, now, now imagine going into playoff weekend, final game, it's 2-1 with three minutes left, right? How are you feeling? I'm crapping myself. Well, how does that feel? Like, what? well, you know, my thoughts are going to be racing. I'm going to be sweating. My heart's going to be beating. My guts are going to be churning. My hands are going to be tight. Oh, kind of the same, right? One of them's life or death. You've got a gun in the back of your head. And one of them's a game of hockey. Yeah. But your mind has created the same emotional response to it. And subsequently, the body goes, well, I don't know whether this is real danger or perceived danger. So I'm just going to like flood you. So I'm going to give you the fight or flight response, whether it's serious or not. So we have to be able to regulate that. And that's where the reset comes in. So by centralizing your breathing, you can bring it back. Right. So we know that as your heart starts to beat faster, if you slow down your breathing, you're going to slow your heart rate down. If you slow your heart rate down you're going to bring your autonomic nervous system back to its natural self, right? So we we focus on breathing. And then we have to focus on me rather than it, right? Because when I start thinking about it, the game, the situation, the event, that's when my thoughts start to go again. So I start to focus on me. And I think from a social media point of view, like the probably the most famous one of this that's come off my page is Kayla Poole at the World's. So when Kayla was at the world, really nervous, really sort of anxious thoughts. So there was the water bottle where she had three things written on a water bottle that basically was her anchors for these exact moments. So they were off the top of my head. They were uh, stay big, beat the puck, um, track into the body, something like that. And where that comes from is you're saying to people, right, if you do three things really, really well. Yeah what are those three things that give you your best performance, right? So if you think back to the best time you've ever been in goal or the best time you've ever played hockey or the best time you've ever been in a fight, what did you do well that you haven't done in every fight that you've been in or every shift you've done? And it it might be things like, you know, when I'm for goalies, it's often things like, you know, when I'm more aggressive, I'm better. When I play the puck, I have better games. When I, when I feel like I'm tracking well, blah, blah. And you go, right, let's use them as your anchors. So when, when you have this reset, you just say to yourself over and over again, just be big, keep your hands projected, follow the puck, be big, keep your hands projected, follow the puck. And what happens is by just saying it over and over again, verbally, not in your head, verbally, the thoughts that are going on dissolve and the focus goes to you. Yeah. Almost like manifestation. Huh? Almost like manifestation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, 
it's just trying to centralize the thought process away from the outside to the inside, because ultimately that's all I can control. Like if I can control being the best version of me, then I'm going to give myself the best chance to succeed. And ultimately that's the sort of confidence I want to have as well, because when confidence comes from within based on what I do or don't do, I don't have this reactive confidence that comes from performance, Mm. right? So reactive confidence goes from played well, played bad, scored, didn't score, you know, shut out, conceded. And my whole life of an athlete is like this. Whereas actually, if my confidence is drawn from an inner place of preparation, uh, work ethic, um, my sleep, my recovery, my nutrition, if I do everything to the absolute best of my ability, then it's much easier to accept that sport is sport and that's why we play it. Sometimes I'll win, sometimes I'll lose, sometimes I'll score, sometimes I won't, but I've done everything I can. And when I get to a point where I'm more internal focused than external focused, I get to be more productive and I have a better chance of maximizing my potential ultimately. So that's that's kind of where we work with players and goalies to to kind of keep that thought process through 60 minutes. Because as you said, it's difficult when you're in the heat of battle, but you practice it. So like you'll see, you'll see people doing training and when they've done their thing, you know, their their drill, they may jump off and they may sit on the bench and they may practice that. And then they come back on for the next round of drills. Yeah. You know, so we we took a really proactive approach last year to try and get people ready for when these things come, because they always come. Is it difficult to try and feed it into them? Because as a group, hockey players tend to be incredibly superstitious (laughs) and and have these incredible little routines that they do pre, during and post game. And if you're trying to sort of say, no, you've got to turn that off and, and focus on this, or do you do you play with them? No, I think you play with them a little bit. Um, I mean, I, I think my my approach is definitely education first. You know, so I'll spend a lot of time just explaining how the brain works, how mental performance works. And I think for a lot of people, that's almost not quite a light bulb moment, but more of a like, oh, thank God it's not just me kind of moment. You know, because it's like, this is what happens in sport. And this is, and we're like, Phew. you know, I didn't really want to talk about it because I thought it was just me that felt like that. Yeah. And you're like, no, no, that's everybody. It's just some people can manage it really well and some people can't. And, you know, but most people will feel stress and anxiety to a certain level. So I think the first part of it is education. And then the second part is kind of seeing results. You know, hockey players very much want to see the output from it. You know, and I think I I, I remember Kieran Brown last year. He, um, I'm sure he won't mind me telling this story. I can't remember the game, but I was stood at the side of the bench at Leeds and Brownie was getting more and more wound up as the game was going on. I just called him over and I was like, Brownie, just breathe. Just relax, just breathe. So he like, you know, sort of through gritted teeth, kind of like <laughs> went on and scored, right? Skated around. He's like, you're a wizard. It's like, well, not really. It didn't quite work like that. But, you know, it was like, um, but they need to see those little wins. Right. And sometimes it's coincidence like that probably was, but I think over time when they start to understand it more and they start to put little bits into practice and, and see some of the things that you've talked about theoretically, you know, and they, they start to put two and two together, then it kind of clicks a little bit and, and, and then they run with it a bit more, but you're right. I mean, superstitions are, they're not a lot of use, you know, they, 
they're great for making an excuse when something goes wrong, but then, you know, like, oh, I didn't put my left shoe on first. Um, there's a difference between routine and superstition. And sometimes you have to kind of clear that one up because there's nothing wrong with routine. Routine is a really useful tool, especially for pro athletes, you know, having a, having structure and having kind of the way you do things. Um, but when it crosses into superstition and that superstition starts to play on your mind during performance, you know, like I did, Oh man, I put my left skate on instead of my right first. Then what's actually happening is my, head and feet aren't in the same place because I'm thinking about how I got dressed when I'm skating around in the first period. Yeah. And we're going back to that whole head and feet sort of scenario. So I think, you know, education around the difference is important, but uh, no, I, look, the, got, the the players I've worked with have on the whole been really, really um, accepting of it. And I'm guess if you ask them privately, they may have had a bit of sort of, question marks about it at the start you know like I can accept that but I think as soon as they started learning and they were always very inquisitive and they were always very interested and and you'd get people saying things to you that you'd said like six weeks before and you're like well some of you know some of it's definitely going in yeah yeah um and like I said I think that the coaches that I work with particularly at the minute help that process because they're so invested in it you know they're they're they see that benefit in it um and that helps when you've got people kind of like pushing you forward as well. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure like I said, when, when Milts is on, I'm sure that he will sort of wax lyrical about what he's learned and what he's done there. And another uh, goalie I know you've worked with, I'm a Chelmsford fan. You'll also have him up in Leeds now is Luca Tassadri. Yeah. Um, oh, the kid's a great character. His feet are very firmly on the ground. Um, and when he signed for Leeds, I, I waxed lyrical about him. I said, he's the best GB prospect. He's probably the best prospect in Europe for a netminder. Um, have, have you seen him since he's been up there? Yeah, I have. Saw him today. Um, saw him this morning. Um, he's he's training uh, at Leeds and at Witness at the minute because yeah. um, he's getting game time up at Witness. Yeah, look, I think Luca. Luca's a great kid. Um, he's got a great mentality for a goalie. You know, he's very very chilled out, very relaxed. Um, I think that. Being at Leeds is a big step up and that will bring challenges to him. You know, we've talked about them with him, just the whole professionalism of it and just kind of the expectation of him as a, you know, a, a pro athlete for all intents and purposes. Um, but you also don't want to take away Luca, right? You yeah, know, Luca. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's a great kid. We, we've done a few bits together. We, I've worked with him a lot with, in the GB programme, Um and obviously, you know, Ewan's camps over the years. So I know him pretty well. But yeah, I think certainly with Davy Lawrence up at Leeds, he's got a really good kind of coach to support him on, on his game. And I think having Sam Gospel uh, with him at Leeds and Harrison is, again, just a huge benefit to him because, like, I, I can't talk positively enough about Sam Gospel. You know, like, as a as a bloke, he's one of the best. As a goalie, he's phenomenal um a real student of the game you know needs to sometimes relax a little bit and get out of his own head but but you know as a guy he's one of the best and I think he will he will help Luke and no end over the over the rest of the season yeah it's something every single fan in Chelmsford there was people offering to drive to wherever he went to university pick him up and drive him back to Chelmsford in order to keep him there um he moved into he moved into his halls yesterday so for for the Chelmsford fans he's fine 
Uh, he was a little bit tired this morning because it's it's freshers' week, and uh, he hasn't been out, but he is in hall, so he's he's not he's not sleeping brilliantly at the minute. Um, so he's a little bit tired today, but he's uh, he's fine. We're looking after him. He's uh, he's okay. Yeah, no, and his dad's still involved at Chelmsford Hockey with the Warriors as well. So he'll, uh, I know he always keeps everyone. Keeps everyone informed on how he's Yeah, his dad on. was up at the weekend. I think Luke said his dad had come up yesterday to um, to help him move into his halls. And then, yeah, I think he played last night against the Lions as well. So, uh, Sunday night, sorry, against the Lions. So, I think his dad had watched that. Yeah, lovely. I, uh, I was supposed to be on this episode, but it's going to be on next week. I'm going to be speaking to Graham Hamilton, who runs the Hawks Talk podcast for the Blackburn Hawks. So, I'm sure he'll have an opinion on having Luca in, in that league when he plays for the Witness. <laughs> yeah, and, and Harrison as well. I think Harrison's on a two-way there as well. Yeah, I think he is, so, yeah. Um, you know, it gives them both really good opportunity to play. Um and, you know, obviously train in both environments. Um but you know, Leeds is a great a great environment for them to play in and you know, just being in that training with the caliber of players they have um is gonna do him the world of good. I mean, not not to, I mean, if you can't say, you can't say. If you don't know, you don't know. But we, we've heard a bit on the grapevine that Leeds are probably looking at the Elite League in the next couple of years. Don't know. Um, I would say that even if I did, but I don't. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think, you know, for me, I haven't actually had a lot of involvement in the Elite League. You know, I've kind of gone round it in a way. Um, you know, so I, I, I've kind of worked in the international side of it and the national league, but not really in the elite. So I don't know it overly. Um, I, I think Leeds is a really professional environment and could they hang at the elite league? In my humble opinion, you know, like I said, right at the start, I'm not really a, a hockey guy. So like I, I, I know a bit about it by default, but you know, that the, the quality of their squad and the way they play and, you know, Ryan as a coach and, uh, Steve as an owner, I think, yeah, they probably could. Like, is the stadium big enough? You know, is the ice rink big enough? I don't know. You know, whether you're getting enough bums on seats, I guess, you know, Manchester manage, it can't be much different. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. But what I do know is that I think the way that Ryan brings in youngsters into Leeds and, you know, develops them and, you know, he he's a coach that players want for. You know, there's no coincidence that he's got a lot of boys that were with him when he was down at OHA. Um, you know, and, and he he just seems to create an environment that the players can tag on to and kind of believe in, I, I guess. Yeah. Um, and like I say, you know, people like Matty Haywood and Matt Howlett and Kieran and, you know, you've got and Sam Gospel and Sammy Zajac and all these, you know, you could go through the whole roster there's some real quality in there and um, and good guys as well. And, you know, it's, it's a pleasure to be in and around the locker room. Yeah. I mean, that level, we've seen at Chelmsford this year, we've had Lewis Clifford come in as the head coach from formerly MK Lightning. And, and we've had six players join from the National League. And when I've spoke to the lads who've been there before, they've said that the level that they're bringing, not just of the way they play, of their their aura as people, professionals, that their behaviour off the ice is just creating an entirely different atmosphere yeah for sure and I think you know like again going into kind of the end of last season and we Leeds were playing I think we had three or four triple header weekends mm. uh, I think we had three or four Friday Saturday Sundays towards the end of the season and and there was a big kind of focus in the room under my kind of remit around 
recovery for that you know and yeah. just being able to do that because some of the boys work you know so it's not even a case of like you can just kind of totally chill out for the rest of the four days you've got to go and do your job and and we looked at kind of sleep and recovery as a real big thing and you you know again credit to the boys because you know I was making them do kind of sleep cycle workout you know basically sort of like right when are you going to get your blocks of sleep next week like what are you going to commit to because we're in it for an early skate on Tuesday and we might be doing this and this and this and you know they all were like yeah yeah totally get it this is what I'm going to do you know did they go and do that I don't know you know it's not big brother but just being in a position where they understood the importance of sleep and recovery and they were kind of like even just thinking about what a 90 minute sleep block is and how if I'm not going to get enough of an evening can I get a nap in at some point and what's the optimum time for me to nap you know I'm a am I an am chronotype or I'm a pm chronotype you know when do I when do I get the best benefit from the sleep I need mm. just to be thinking about that was like a different level you know and yeah, I absolutely I think you're right I think that it is a very professional league and yeah they could definitely do it but I honestly don't know whether that's in the plan or not yeah no and it's i think it's something that is filtering down that the nihl one south this year is, it looks incredibly competitive there's a lot of players that have played at that higher level um and as you say all the lads work but they're they're really putting in an awful lot of effort and of course away from their jobs and training with their clubs people are coming to see you as well which is just more of a, a sign that they're committed to their art yeah for sure and i think you know like i, I guess i've now had to have to start being a little bit more selective like be, just because of time yeah of course um, only one man is only 24 hours yeah <laughs> yeah i mean there is that and you know i, I obviously I, I i work with ice hockey australia you know so i do some consultancy stuff for them and i have kind of goalies and players in north america that i work with and and if you're not careful that can be a 24-hour day mm. so, you know so you're up early to speak to somebody in australia and then you're speaking to somebody at midnight in north america and kind of in between you working in the UK. So I have to be a little bit more selective about what I do. And I, I do find that quite difficult. I'm not a great kind of no kind of person. So if I get asked to do something, I do. Um, but I think that what's happening with places like Ozone, especially, you know, like Danny, what Danny and Fordy and Lockie do down there is a incredible. Like I think it's just the the level of on ice coaching is incredible. But I think that what they've started to do, perhaps since a bit more since I've been involved, is they've started to kind of look at the skills that I develop off ice and try and bring them into their on ice practice as well. Yeah. So as you, you say, know, you, if you can't implement one from the other, it's pointless, isn't it? So, yeah, exactly. And you know, like you know, we'll be on a GB day or something and I'll be stood at the side of the ice and, you know, can't skate, don't know what I'm doing on the ice, don't know about structures and teams and all this sort of stuff. But I will say to Danny, like, you know, if you add this in, it will just add X, Y, and Z. And he's like, brilliant. He'll be like, oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't think about that. Great idea. Right, we're going to do this, this, this. You know, and I think that's, like I say, credit to them because they've welcomed me into their world you know, like I live in Nottingham and I can honestly say a little bit shamefully, I had no idea who Danny was, um, much to his disgust probably at the time. Um, but, you know, I, I, I've only really got into hockey since Ollie's been playing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I never followed Panthers back then. I, I knew who David Clark was because Ollie had done some camps in Nottingham that Clarkie ran. 
but I didn't know who Danny was, you know. And um, then you look back on YouTube and you're like, oh, I could play a bit, to be fair, right? And he was all right. And I think that what he's doing down there is like insane. I know, I know a lot of kids already go there, but it's such a cool environment. And, uh, and now obviously we're doing the off ice there as well. And it's, it's just, it's a nice little venue for the, for those kids that are in that area. Yeah. I think I've got Charlie Ottawell on a couple of weeks as well. And I think he runs yeah. his, his hockey training program down in the ozone as well. Yeah. He's a good guy. I like yeah. Charlie a lot. He, um, I think he's just gone to Slough, hasn't he? He has. Yeah. He was at MK and then a change in circumstances put him down to Slough, but I think he's Bracknell based anyway. So it's, a bit easier for him to get to Slough than it is to, to MK. Yeah. Um, and considering how busy you are, I cannot be th- grateful enough that you've given up an hour of your time uh, this evening to, to talk to us at Zero Pucks. No, you're very welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, hopefully there's been a bit of information that's been useful to people listening. Um, yeah, absolutely. But there's, there's plenty of stuff that goes on social media, whether it be Facebook or Instagram. So, yeah. And, to... and anything that, that excites me from it, I always share out because it's so interesting to see that sort of level of training. So yeah, I'll always share that, especially if it's players from our division that you're working <laughs> with, I'll, I'll always share it out. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get some Luca content. That'll, uh, that'll get me some hits, right? Oh, that, absolutely. It will. And I, uh, you'll probably be pestered for the next week with tags and whatnot, as I share all this out. So uh, that's all good. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thanks ever so much. No worries, Colin. Thank you so much. A massive thank you to Colin Booth from MG1 Elite Training Performance for joining me. I thought that was really, really interesting. A different insight into the way that the young British hockey players are now training. And uh, and as we discussed, you know, some of them are looking now to go abroad rather than upwards to the elite league in this country. So, yeah, certainly a change there. So the fixtures then for this coming weekend, it's a slightly quieter one. No game for Streatham. They have a weekend off. On the Saturday, you'll find the Buccaneers hosting the Chieftains at the Sapphire Ice Centre. Tickets available on the door or head to the uh, the Romford Buccaneers social medias. Hit the links there to try and get your tickets. And the Solent Devils are hosting the Slough Jets at Planet Ice in Gosport. So you can get your tickets online or by calling up Planet Ice in Gosport after 10 o'clock or 10.30. It may well be on Wednesday morning. Into the Sunday, and Milton Keynes Thunder are hosting the Buccaneers up at the Planet Ice in Milton Keynes. It will be cash or card on the door. Invicta Dynamos are hosting the Chance for Chieftains, so a road weekend for the Chieftains this weekend. Down at Planet Ice in Gillingham. Tickets available in advance. Go to the Invicta page. I think there may well be Ticket Co. or call Planet Ice directly to purchase those tickets. And at the Oxpens on Sunday night, the Oxford City Stars are hosting the Slough Jets. So two games in the weekend for the Jets, the Bucks, and for the Chieftains. So uh, go go for a four point weekend from all of those clubs. So yeah, it should be a, should be a good weekend of hockey coming. I'm hoping to get to Romford Saturday night. Not too sure about Invicta Sunday as yet, but uh, yeah, make sure bring your loud voices if you're following the Chieftains down there. And everywhere you go, traveling your your teams, travel safe. Bring your loud voices and enjoy the fact that the hockey season is back we will see you next week where i'll have graham hamilton from hawks talk the podcast for the blackburn hawks we'll be discussing the morally division and i will be joined by christian moore from the slough jets as well talking about his career uh past present and future of course so thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week 
this podcast is hosted by Spotify for Podcasters. It is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and anywhere else that you get your podcasts. You can follow on all the social medias. It's at Zero Pucks Given for YouTube and Facebook, at Zero Pucks Given Podcast for Instagram, TikTok, and Threads, at Zero Pucks Pod on X, and Ben Hyde ZPG on Snapchat. Follow us on all of those, and you will not miss a thing. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Podcast Network.